0: If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, as we have been going through this on the first Sunday of the month. As you well know, this is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. Monday, would you go look on my desk and bring some glasses up? The black ones, I don't care what you bring, just a pair of glasses. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Let's go to God in prayer. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the preaching of God's word this morning, and also pray for me as I preach it. The primary means of grace is the proclamation of God's word. So, um, thank you. So, um, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, whether you want to or not, whether you feel like it or not, preach the word. So, please, let's go to prayer. Pray quietly, and then I'll lead us. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, open up our hearts and minds to be receptive to this exhortation from Scripture. I pray, O oh God, that you would be with me as I preach. I pray that you would take away any fear and anxiety I might have, any uh trepidation. And Father, any sense of um, of sufficiency, as I know that my sufficiency rests in Christ, I ask you, Almighty God, Holy Spirit, to be with me and be with the congregation as they hear, open up our hearts to be instructed and to be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our study in Exodus chapter 13, I would remind you that the writer here uh, is uh, closing up his letter, and he uses many separate and distinct issues in which he is concerned that are concerned with living out the Christian life. They are delivered, delivered as exhortations. That means they are commandments. They are not suggestions. This is what the writer to the Hebrews is telling these early Christians to do as he wraps up uh, his letter to them. Verses 1 through 4, the writer tells us, let brotherly love continue. They are loving one another as they are supposed to. As Christians in the church, that is God's will for us, that we love one another. Uh, and that we are committed to exercising that love one toward another. We are to show hospitality, as, they say, as he says here. Remember those in prison, especially those who are in prison for the gospel's sake. And then let marriage be held in honor among all men. Because there were those who were teaching that if you were married, it's a lesser spiritual life. And then also the, the um, sanctity of the marriage bed that he deals with here in this text. Well, this morning he deals with loving money. Charles and I were meeting in the office as we prayed together before I came in here. We decided, sort of, he just came to me because of what he said. All Christians are members of the International Order of Odd Fellows when it comes to money. He says people are odd about money, uh, and they are. Uh, they're very odd about money, uh, and we're going to think about that this morning. And what is it that we can do to be like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4:11, who said, "I have learned to be content." In all circumstances, whether I have much or whether I have little, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. Well, as we look at this this morning, we'll see this. That contentment in the Christian life occurs as one has a confidence in God's providence. Contentment in the Christian life occurs as one has God's, uh, has confidence in God's providence. And to recognize uh, that the greatest treasure we have is the treasure of the gospel The greatest treasure we have is the treasure of the gospel. Three things this morning. I'm just going to look at one, though, actually. Christian contentment is plagued by an extravagant allurements of the world. Secondly, Christian contentment demands that we are satisfied with what we have. And thirdly, Christian contentment is possible only as believers find their ultimate pleasure in God and not in the things that we have, and not in the things of the world. So in the first place, then, Christian contentment is challenged by the extravagant allurements of the world. What is Christian contentment? Well, it is otherworldly. It is not something of this life, per se. Those who are of the world find their contentment in things, what they have, whether it's family, which is fine, whether it's money, Whatever it may happen to be, they find contentment in the things of the world. But what we are talking about with this is having contentment in God. And so, uh, it is not that we are fatalist and we just accept it and live with it. It's not that we steal ourselves to things, but in the midst of need, in the midst of loss, we can still praise God and be content In that situation, because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and what Christ means to us. Jeremiah Burroughs, as we studied him in Sunday school some time ago, before we started meeting in person again, I think. At least for Sunday school. In his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, uh, defines contentment this way. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of mind which freely submits... And delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. So in order for us to have contentment and whatever we're dealing with and whatever we are lacking, it is absolutely necessary, absolutely necessary that we have an unwavering trust, a trust in God's goodness and a trust in God's wisdom and a belief and trust that God knows what he's doing. Again, Jeremiah borrows a quote from him. You worship God more by contentment than when you come to hear a sermon or spend half an hour in prayer and when you come to receive a sacrament. These are only external acts of worship, but contentment is the soul's worship to subject itself thus to God and be pleased with what he does. So the one who is discontented comes to worship, whatever reason it may happen to be, comes to worship with a chip on his shoulder. Or comes to worship and has grumbling and complaining in his heart and mind. He's not prepared to come to worship. Not at all. Again, John Owen wrote this, discontentment is always associated with distrusting God. So if we are discontented, what he says here is never going to come to pass. Keep yourself free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. And so again, a lack of contentment demonstrates a lack of trust in God. He is exactly right. And you say, um, he's writing to Christians here. This is not a group of pagans. This is These are Christians that he's writing to. And that means this speaks to each of us. The same commands he says here to the people in the first century are commands that we need to hear and act upon as well. And the challenge we face is this, the world holds much in its hand that is very attractive to us, and we desire it. We desire the things the world has to offer, and in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with owning property. There's nothing wrong with owning home or homes, if you rent homes out or whatever the case may happen to be. There's nothing wrong with having a very healthy-looking portfolio, being very financially secure. There's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. Indeed, we do well to remember that whatever we have, whether it's a lot or whether it's not so much, that it's always according to God's good pleasure. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? The Bible teaches the sovereignty of God. And if you believe in the sovereignty of God, then you believe that where you are, your station in life is where God has put you. It's not to say it won't change. But that's where God has put you, and it's not a mistake that you have what you have or you don't have the things that you wish you had. It is by God's good pleasure. However, in order affections for the things of the world, loving things of the world more than we should, now, that's what the writer is referring to here. The one who has a thirst for the things of the world, and he is never, ever satisfied. His heart is anchored in the harbor of worldly affections, and there it rests, and there it stays. It's always restless, always desiring, always wanting more, and being determined not to lose anything that they have. Not one cent, not one piece, not to lose anything that they have. Uh, and this is an avaricious man uh, who never has enough of anything, one man said in the movie, it actually was Val Kilmer playing the part of Doc Holliday in Tombstone. See, my hypocrisy knows no bounds. If you haven't seen that movie, I recommend it to you. Tombstone. It's rather violent. I don't let the children watch it, but I thought it was a very good movie. My hypocrisy knows no bounds. We can say of the man who is avaricious, uh, insatiable desire for wealth and money that knows no bounds. He has an insatiable desire for wealth and money and things that knows no bounds. Uh, He never has enough of the world's treasures, never has enough of the world's possessions, never content with where he is in that place in life, always wanting more. And so the writer here, dealing with that type of person, has in mind covetousness and greed. We may assume from this text that the first century Christians were having problems with loving money. Loving money and not loving God as they should. Let me ask you this. If tomorrow every penny you had invested was gone, would you praise God? That happened to the people at Enron, you know. They woke up broke. Well, they had $2 million invested all of it in Enron. And she woke up the next morning. She was broke. How would you react if that happened to you? It'd be tough. It'd be very, very hard. But would your faith sustain you so that even in that situation, you could still praise God, not for being broke. Yes, for being broke. In his providence, that would be where you would be. And that would be where you needed to be for the time being. Uh, this word here that is in the scriptures, uh, uh, keep your life free from the love of money. Another translation is uh, keep your conversation, uh, which has to do with your lifestyle and the way that you live as what this word refers to. And it means to be without covetousness, not greedy, or desiring filthy lucre, is a little translation of the word that is there. And we notice this and take note of this. The Bible again and again and again warns us about having too much affection for money. Again and again and again. And we see it exercised in the lives of people, such as this man called Achan in the Old Testament. Remember they went in to, around Jericho and they did what God told them to do. They marched around it seven times for seven days or six days and seven days Marched around it seven times. They blew the horns and smashed the pitchers uh, and uh, the walls fell down. They went to Ai, a smaller city, and were defeated. They couldn't understand that. How could this possibly be? Well, it turns out That they were not supposed to take anything of value from the city they destroyed. And this man named Achan took silver and gold and hid it in his tent and buried it in his tent. Joshua 7 verse 1, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan the son of Carmi. Son of Zebdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. One man's sins, one man's sin can hurt so many others, as we see in the case of Achan. New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, you know all that story in Acts chapter five, New Testament church. People were being generous. They were selling property, they were selling things and they were given to the poor. And Peter was there watching it. So this man named Ananias comes in with the money, you know the story, and lays it at Peter's feet. And Peter says, "Is that what you got for your property?" "Yep, yeah, that's it, every penny of it." And Peter says, well, "You're telling a lie. You're lying. You're not just lying to me; you're lying to God." You know what happened to him? He died immediately. He lied. Church discipline. So his wife comes in a few, some time later, Sapphira. And uh she says the same, tells the same story. Tells the same story. Is this what you got for the property you sold? Yep, that's it. Every penny of it, that's it. Only she was lying with her husband. And Peter says this to them you didn't have to sell your property. That was not mandated for you to sell your property. And when you sold it, you didn't have to give any of it to help the poor. You could have kept it. It was yours, you could have kept it. But what you've done is based on greed, and it's wicked. And so the man who carried out your husband will be carrying you out as well. And you know the story. She fell down dead. So both of these are cases of individuals Who have a lustful desire, an inordinate desire for the things of the world, the things of money. And look what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up treasures treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, and flood waters come and destroy. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither rust nor moths destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We ask ourselves this, what do we love the most in this life? Is it Christ? Or is it the things that we have? Is it our money? Is it the possessions that we have in our lives? Christ said this again, Matthew six twenty four: No one can serve two masters. For he will love one and despise the other. You cannot be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Does our money ever cause us to be selfish and greedy? Our love for it, our concern for it. Does our love for money ever cause us to put our trust in it more so than trusting God? Does our money ever cause us, our love for it, cause us to be blind to the needs of others that we could help? He expresses two duties here in this text, one negative, one positive. The negative is, do not love money. Keep yourself free from the love of money. Again, money in and of itself is not wrong. It's an indication of God's blessing. What's forbidden here is greed. As Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, for the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and indeed it is, because it's putting that before the Lord. It would be wrong to be able to help those around us and to refuse to do so when we had the wherewithal to do it. I'm not saying let people take advantage of us. We've dealt with that here in this church. People just taking advantage of us. Paul says, if a man will not work, neither let him eat." But there are true needs in this world. True needs. And we need to see to it that we are willing and able. Now, if we are able, we are willing to help them. And we've got the day where you use somebody else's money, not mine. Like Mr. Potter, you know. And it's a wonderful life. Not with my money. Well, yeah, with your money. It doesn't say here, keep your friends free from the love of money. Just keep yourself free from the love of money. And there's a responsibility here. By the word keep, you see, it's your responsibility to keep yourself free from the love of money. And the second thing is be content with what you have. Don't be one who is driven to have more and more and more and more. If you have a business and it creates more money for you, that's fine. But be content today with where you are, not greedy. Not longing for more and more. Be content with what you have, he says here in the text. And so we must do that if we are going to be faithful to the Lord. And we need to remember, contentment is not incompatible with industry. Contentment is not the antithesis of working. The lazy man or the indolent person would seek to excuse his languor with this text. I am not lazy. I'm just so heavenly minded that I cannot, I don't need to strive for earthly things. Therefore, that's why I don't work. I'm content with a little bit the government gives me, whatever the case may happen to be, that I can collect from churches. I'm content with that. Well, that's wrong. Paul says again, if a man will not work, neither let him eat. Contentment and indolence are two entirely different things. Idleness must never be allowed to cloak itself under the guise of grace. Idleness must never be allowed to cloak itself under the guise of grace. Contentment does not consist in a slothful neglect of the business of life. Owen says, honest industry is the command of God. John Owen, honest industry is the command of God all the days that God gives to us. We are, have that responsibility to see to it that we are working. And these are commands. Uh, these are not suggestions. Every one of these is a commandment. And... Pink says this, commitment is the product of a heart resting in God. It is the blessing of trusting God with your affairs. And so the question is, do we really trust the Lord? Or are we so self-dependent, so looking to ourselves for our own industry that we will not dare give any of it away? The first century. They were selling things and giving it to the poor. Would we do that today? I guess it would depend on what it is, wouldn't it? So they were not loving money in the first century, that church. Rather, they were loving others and seeing to it that they could take care of them. And as they did so, they were selling their possessions to do so. In The Lord of the Rings, Gollum, as you know if you saw the films or if you read the books, Gollum found the ring that made him invisible. He loved it. He called it his precious. He loved it so much that at the end of the movie, the ring was tossed into the fires the lava, and he went in after it because he was in love with it so much. The question is for us, do you love your money? Do you? Do you really secretly, though you would never admit it, put a whole lot of treasure in what you own and the money that you have? Do you base your worth on how much money you have? If you do that, you'll never have enough. Do you look at yourself as better than someone that doesn't have quite as much as you do? Do you do that? And again, that's an indication of having a love for money. Would you like to, did in the first century, sell something in order to take care of someone who was very, very poor? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to go into your savings and take money out in order to help the church or help some individual that needed help, whether you have a lot or whether you don't have so much? People that are not well-off can be just as greedy as people that are well-off. It's a matter of the heart. Just because you don't have much it does not mean you're not greedy. Those that have a lot have a greater responsibility. They're able to do more. But the person who does not have much, would that person be willing to sell something? You can't just say, well, I can't afford it. Sure you can. Everybody can afford to sell something. And if you can't give a lot, you can give a little. So again, it's a matter of the heart and a matter of resting and uh, getting our uh, satisfaction in life by finding our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the last question. If Christ told you to give away all of your money, would you do it? As Richard Ungluehler in the Scriptures was intrigued with Jesus very intrigued with him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know the scriptures. I've kept the commandments. Okay, good. One thing you like, go sell your possessions and come follow me. And you know what it tells us. He went away sad because he had much. And the store he had much, but it could have been just as well as someone that didn't have as much. Because again, covetousness and greed is a matter of not our possessions. It's a matter of the heart. But you see the responsibility here. You can put you in here. You keep yourself free from the love of money. You be content with what you have. The opposite of that is, uh, the flip side of that is uh, generosity. Although we are called upon to be generous with the things that we have. God is generous to us. Very generous to us. The greatest gift you have, not your portfolio, it's not your house, it's not a multitude of guitars that you may own. I talked to my guitar teacher. He has 200 guitars, my former guitar teacher, 200 guitars. I said, I want one of your guitars. He said, well, what do you have in mind? I said, well, I want a Howard Roberts. He said, well, I only have one, and it's signed. Howard Roberts is a very, very nice Gibson guitars, a jazz guitar, uh, that was made, uh, is made for him. And so he said, I only have one. I was joking with him. No matter what we have, you know, things that we love, the things that we possess, aren't nearly as great as the gospel that we have. Not nearly as wonderful as the gospel that we have. God showed his grace to us, his generosity to us, and delivering us from the wrath and condemnation that we rightly deserved. We still rightly deserve it. If we're going to talk about just desserts, we still rightly deserve to be condemned by God. Because you know that you don't keep his commandments like you should. You know that you don't love him like you should. You know that you love money sometimes more than you should. You know that. So we rightly deserve God's wrath and condemnation. The only reason we don't receive it is because of Christ and his grace to us. This morning we come to the Lord's table. And we are reminded that Jesus Christ is our hope in this world. And he is the greatest treasure that we could ever have. So you don't have as much money as you want. That's okay. You have Christ. So you have a little lot of money. We want to part with some of it if called upon to do so. You have Christ. Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians chapter four says this. You've heard me say it before, when we should memorize. We hold this treasure, the gospel, in earthen vessels. For the outer man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed day by day, by day by day. Such is God's grace it work in our life let's pray almighty god our heavenly